Chapter Thirteen of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science, by George Griffith. Chapter Thirteen penal servitude for life banishment absolute and perpetual from the busy world of men with all its possibilities of joy and sorrow success and failure great daring and high enterprise its glory and its shame its light and its darkness its life and its death all in short that makes existence endurable all that nerves the man who has succeeded to work for yet greater successes all that encourages the man who has failed to try yet again and again for the prize which by one chance or another has so far eluded his grasp but this was the negation of everything it was life without the living and death without the dying penal servitude for life what did it mean even to the most ordinary of mortals Imagine a man standing on the green border of a desert without any other horizon than the ever-moving line upon which the ocean of sand and the cloudless sky seem to meet. The man is doomed to leave the green border behind him and to take his way across the desert towards that line which he knows full well he will never reach. Some day his strength will give out and his footsteps fail. He will stumble on a mile or two further and then he will lurch forward and drop and where he drops he will die and the desert scavengers will pick his bones clean and the sun will dry them till they melt into powder and no man shall know the place where he last lay down to rest that is a physical likeness of penal servitude for life but the moral wilderness is wider and more desolate than any sahara or gobi on earth it has no limits and no resting places sleeping and waking its dreary horrors its insatiable hunger and its unquenchable thirst are forever present the journey across it may be twenty or thirty or forty years long but every step of it has to be traversed at a measured speed which may neither be quickened nor slackened every act of every hour is regulated by a power outside the pilgrim's will to look back is remorse to look forward is despair there are only two forms of release to be hoped for death or hopeless disease but should the disease be mental it means only the exchange of one prison for another the convict prison for the criminal lunatic asylum a physical paradise and a mental hell out of which only one door opens the grave and gate of death the ordinary criminal of mediocre intellect is usually crushed into stupor during the first few weeks of his solitary probation by the tremendous weight of the doom that has fallen upon him but to a man like jenner halkine with vast stores of learning at his command and a vivid and vulturous imagination to prey upon them until memory became a torment and a curse no such merciful stupor of despair could come a despair keener a thousand times than the sullen surrender of the average criminal animal to a force that is too strong for him it was as though the wanderer over the desert of sand and rock were to try and keep himself alive 
by eating his own flesh. The intellect preyed upon itself. It devoured the memories of the past, while its handmaiden imagination painted in blinding colors the hideous differences between the past and the present. The process, perhaps consoling and even entertaining at first, would go on month after month and year after year through the dull, squalid courses of labor and the few half-hours of leisure still more hateful to such a man. Then, at length, the all-devouring intellect would turn upon itself. And when the process once began, there could only be one of two ends, insanity or imbecility. There was no other hope save a possible chance of suicide, the same death to which he had sent his friend and his host. Even this he thought of with a shudder, although he had watched Sir Godfrey go down the path that he had marked out for him to his death without a quiver of a nerve. But his own self-murder in a felon's cell appeared a very different thing indeed. For him, in very truth, the mills of God had begun to grind. They grind slowly, but they grind exceeding small. Jenner Halkine had known this old Spanish saying by heart for a good many years, and he had taken it only as an eloquent condensation of the universal law of fate. Now, sitting in his lonely little cell, looking out over the featureless desert which spread before him, and backward over the luxuriant jungle of mental and physical delights which had once been his happy hunting-grounds, the words had quite a different meaning for him, and the memory of them was an added burden which he never could lay aside until the merciful hand of death was laid upon him. Even then, if there was any truth in the lore that he had learnt from the lips of Isa Ramal, such a release would only be an ending and a beginning, a death and a rebirth, in which the sins of the fathers would be visited on the children unto the third and fourth generation and perhaps to the fortieth. It so happened that in another cell, in the same gallery of the prison, only a few yards away, Mr. Bonham Denyer was also serving his nine months probation preparatory to the five years' penal servitude to which he had been sentenced for the fraudulent practices disclosed by the documents which Halkine had sent to the Home Office as soon as he became certain of his treachery. They had met and recognized each other in the exercise yard, and had exchanged glances more eloquent than the words which they were forbidden to speak. The sight of his accomplice and betrayer had acted like a tonic on Dr. Halkine. He was puzzled and annoyed by the cheerful, almost jaunty air which the ex-solicitor wore in such strange contrast with his prison dress. He did not know that he was being paid at the rate of about three thousand a year, for the degradation which had already ceased to affect him, and for the light labor and easy, healthful conditions of what is called, by a polite legal fiction, penal servitude. For him there was no limitless desert to cross, only a narrow strip, on the other side of which he would enter free of debt and danger, and with several thousand pounds in his pocket. But if he could have seen what Halkine's eyes saw— as they looked down so persistently at the narrow flagged pathway over which they took their dreary hour's tramp, morning and afternoon, day after day, week after week, month after month. If he could have seen that, as Halkine longed with a fierce desire to make him see it, every waking hour of his sentence would have been filled not with complacent reflections upon his coming prosperity, 
but with a haunting horror that would never have left him by day and would have made his dreams hideous by night for what halkine saw was the sombre figure of ram das waiting as it were outside the prison doors till they should open to let bonham denyer come forth once more into the world of men and then even while he was rejoicing in his new-found freedom the stealthy shape would dog his every footstep the brilliant black eyes would watch his every movement the softly treading feet would follow him in all his goings and comings until the hour and the opportunity came and the remall of the strangler would be cast about his neck and his life would go out in a few quick choking sobs there is no antidote to despair like the hope of revenge and from his first meeting with his betrayer in the prison yard halkine began to live a new life he began to learn that there was hope even for the hopeless and in contemplation of the ghastly doom which he had prepared for the man to whom he owed his own fate his spirits rose and with them his powers gradually came back to him one morning when his probation was nearly approaching its end he felt his mental forces so far restored that he determined even at the risk of punishment to make a trial of them the half-past five bell rang and he turned out of his hammock dressed rolled up his blankets and stowed the hammock with the mechanical quickness and precision that the discipline of his durance had taught him then he set out his polished tin utensils ready to receive the tasteless breakfast which only hunger made him eat and stood to attention waiting the opening of his cell door presently he heard the jingling of keys along the corridor and the rattling of the locks as the spring bolts were shot back as the now familiar sounds came nearer and nearer he braced himself for the effort he was about to make the key rattled into the lock of his door it swung back and the warder looked in that's right he said kindly as he ran an approving eye over the tidy cell always keep yourself smart and up to time and it'll make things a lot easier for you afterwards get your things ready now and sweep out hey there what are you looking at me like that for look the other way i tell you i won't have it it's against 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 his voice faltered away into a whisper hawkine's eyes had caught his they seemed to grow bigger and bigger to come nearer and nearer until they came together and all he could see was one great luminous eye staring through his into the depths of his soul then he heard a faraway voice gentle and low but very distinct saying yes i know what you were going to say against the regulations well never mind about regulations just now i want to talk to you you know that prisoners mustn't the warder began feebly and then stopped not allowed to talk repeated the voice yes but you will allow me to talk won't you and you will oblige me by shutting that door the last words came quick and sharp and had a ring of authority in them the eye came closer and something like a huge hand moved swiftly to and fro before his own eyes he turned mechanically and shut the door that's right said the voice thank you i'm glad you understand me i will not keep you because that might lead to unpleasantness for both of us now what is your name and who are you robert jackson 
warder of the second class, replied the man, looking up and speaking like an automaton. You are no such thing, replied the voice sharply. Your name is Robert Jackson, but remember you are my body servant, Jenner Halkine's body servant, and as such bound to obey his orders. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, replied the warder in a dull, impersonal sort of voice. Very well, replied the voice sharply. Now tear a page out of your notebook and give me your pencil. Make haste, or they'll be wondering what you're doing here all this time. Warder Jackson took out his notebook and his pencil, and committed a very serious breach of the regulations, a breach which would have certainly got him disrated, and probably dismissed with a bonus of three months' imprisonment, with the fumbling wooden motions of a man half asleep. Halkine took the paper and pencil from him, and said, Now open the door and go about your work, but don't forget that you are Jenner Halkine's servant. No, sir, I won't forget, he murmured, touching his cap mechanically. Then the eye disappeared, a cool hand touched his forehead, and the next moment he woke to see the prisoner standing to attention at the other end of the cell. He opened the door and went out feeling a little dazed and with a slight pain at the back of his head. While he was eating his solitary breakfast that morning, Halkine wrote in his neat, clear hand, on the leaf from the notebook, the following letter. Bonham Denier, traitor. For the sake of money, you have condemned me to a living death. You have destroyed all the hopes and aspirations and ambitions of a life that might have been of inestimable service to humanity. For this, you yourself shall die. When the prison door opens for you, as you hope they shall never open for me, Ram Dass will be standing beside them waiting for you. You may not see him, but he will be there. Other eyes, too, will watch you. Other powers, which you know nothing of, will encompass you till the hour of vengeance comes, and then you will die. You shall think of this every hour of every day, and in your dreams the avenger shall stand beside your bed. For you the day of release shall bring no hope but dread. You shall not live to enjoy the price of your treachery. This is your sentence of death. You have yet years to live under the shadow, and they shall be years of fear and torment to you, and of hope to me. Your suffering shall be my delight. It may drive you mad, but I hope it won't, for I wish you to taste every horror of the slowly approaching doom that shall infallibly be yours. At dinner-time the closely folded slip of paper reached Mr. Bonham Denyer by the obedient hands of Warder Jackson and when Halkine met the man who was now his victim in the exercise yard that afternoon, he saw at a glance that his vengeance had already begun to work. The air of cheerful patience and resignation was gone. The head was bowed, and the steps had lost all their spring. The rosy face had gone gray in a few hours, and his eyes that had looked out straight and steady in the morning were now shifty and furtive, looking slantingly this way and that, as though they were already seeking the spectre that was to come nearer day by day until it took actual human form, and the upraised arm of vengeance fell. "'I am avenged already?' said Halkine to himself, as he returned to his cell after hunting his victim with his eyes during the whole exercise hour. "'Sentence of certain death with four and a half years of prison life to think about it. Even I can't say that I envy him.' End of chapter 13. 
Recording by James K. White. Chula Vista.